0: Today's scripture is from James 5, 7 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good to be back with you. I'm wondering if you've ever heard of the famous uh, Stanford marshmallow experiments. Have you heard of that? Uh, Back in the 1960s, some psychologists at Stanford conducted tests um that they would where they would put a, a young child in a room with a marshmallow on a plate in front of them and told them that they could eat the marshmallow if they wanted, but if they would just wait for fifteen minutes, then the researcher would come back and they could have two marshmallows instead and the goal of this study was to analyze children 's control over the idea of their of their patients their Delayed gratification, and then how this affected the rest of their lives. Now there are some funny old videos. They kept repeating this experiment in different ways. Some great old videos uh, of kids trying so hard not to eat the marshmallow. Now some some as soon as they as soon as the researcher left the room, some would just grab it and eat it. Right? There's there's always those kids. Right? Uh, That's fine. I've got some of those too. But others waited patiently and did all kinds of funny actions to try to stop themselves from eating it, covering their eyes pulling on their braids, kicking the table, even petting it like a little um, <laughs> stuffed animal to try to, to convince themselves not to eat it. And the psychologists conducted follow-up tests then on these kids to see like, if they ate it immediately or waited and what effect they had. And what they found... There's, their results suggested that those who had exercised patience and self-control and waited for the second treat, those students, those kids, ended up doing much better on the SAT. They were perceived by, as more competent. They even had parts of their brains from brain scans that were more developed. The point being that those who exercised the patience again to get the delayed gratification, that had a positive impact on the rest of their lives. Now, as you can imagine, in recent years, As often happens with science, other researchers have challenged some of the conclusions that were drawn by the early experiments and said there were other factors at play like economic background, et cetera. But the point is still the same, that being patient and waiting is very hard. It's hard for children to do when they have a marshmallow in front of them. It's hard for adults to do Our lives get more complicated and sophisticated. The marshmallows we desire often have four wheels and a a fast engine or a nice address in a part of town. Or there may be things like getting married or having a child or finding meaningful work. But it's hard to be patient. It's hard to wait and to endure, even when we know that something better is coming. But I think the hardest thing to be patient in, to endure and to stay on the path, is not when there's just a promise of something better, but in the midst of hardship and suffering and loss. Maybe there's a sign of a a tumor or some other medical condition and you're waiting to hear the diagnosis. It's really hard to be steadfast in that moment. Maybe you get a call from your boss that he said that he needs to talk to you and then you don't hear from him for several hours, right, or days. That's hard to endure and not freak out. Maybe someone maligns you and misrepresents you at work or steals your great idea or credit. It's hard to be patient and endure that. Or maybe it's a situation like my wife and I, we were in Florida for a couple of weeks, took just our two youngest kids with us, had other kids home, still working jobs. And so we pull in at 3 a.m. and our 17 year old who is very responsible and was stayed home to work, his car wasn't there. So we tried calling, no response. Tried texting, no response. I finally fitfully fall asleep We're anxious about it. I wake up at 5 a.m., which, um, you know, just jump up with this strong vision of his car overturned in a ditch and panicking, right? I'm about to get in the car. We finally figure out by location services and Googling his dress that he's at, his, he's at a friend's house and he's just probably fallen asleep. And, but that time of waiting... That agony is so hard. It's hard not to freak out. Have you considered, kind of as a side note here, how technology has affected our experience of waiting as well? Part of it's for good. We were able to find my son's location, eventually figure out that his phone wasn't dead, so he probably wasn't, and that he called us as soon as he woke up. So it, was, it all worked out, it was just a couple hours of, of panic made me think of my poor mother when I pulled such shenanigans in a pre-internet and pre-phone age where I would be up all night, and I guess it's payback (laughs) of a sort. So that's good. I'm glad for that technology. But part of technology that has really made it, I think, harder to be patient is that you and I can have immediate access to any information we want. We can call anyone anytime. We can go to stores and buy anything at any time. If our city doesn't have something, we can have it shipped to us the next day easily, right? Escapism that technology provides so that we don't have to pay attention to how difficult it is to wait is everywhere. Right? I think if the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment were conducted today, kids would probably get out their phones during it, see how long Uber Eats would take to deliver a better marshmallow to their address, right? And then while they're waiting, look up whether this is really an accurate test or not, right? <laughs> Now, the reason I'm talking about patience and patient endurance and staying on the path in the midst of difficulties is because the point of our text of Scripture that we just heard read is is really straightforward, and it's precisely this. James is going to tell us that you and I need to have patient endurance. And what I want to do today in our time together is just explore a little bit what this godly patience looks like and how we might be able to step towards developing this really quite unnatural thing in us um, and in our lives. And so I wanna pause once more and just pray that God would come and speak to us. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that, I'm standing on the promise today that we who, as parents that are very imperfect, we know how to give good gifts to our children, you say, Jesus, that with that being true, how much more God the Father is perfect will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so we ask that you would come and do what we cannot do for ourselves, open our hearts and minds to receive and, and your presence and see you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, here at Sojourn, uh, for the last few months, if you've been around, you know, and if, if this is your first time here, we're thrilled you're here. We have been walking through a powerful little ancient letter that we call the book of James that's tucked away near the end of the New Testament. It's a piece really of what we call wisdom literature. It's a letter, but it's casting a vision, inviting us to reorient our lives according to a certain Christ-centered wisdom, a certain way of being in the world that's based on Jesus and his coming kingdom upon earth. And if you've been around, you know that in the letter of James, we have heard some texts and had some sermons that were full of just beautiful words And we've also had some that feel more like a throat punch. There's some pretty strong words in this book. And the text from last week, chapter five, verses one to six, I think are probably the strongest and harshest words in the letter. If you were here, you remember that it was about the woes upon wealthy landowners who are oppressing the poor, uses vivid language of judgment that's coming upon them. That's the kind of passage, frankly, that's not easy to preach. One for which Pastor Kevin is conveniently still on vacation, and I was out of town as well. The kind of passage you give to the younger associate pastors like Brian. So thanks, Brian, for preaching that. But those verses are actually an important part of our context today because there's a shift that happens in the verses that we're going to look at. Because those words that are addressed to oppressors now shift, and James talks to the people who are experiencing hardship. Yes, oppression, but really any kinds of hardship, and he addresses them to us. And as I said a few moments ago, the point is really, really straightforward. It's a really easy text to read and understand what the point is. And let me just, let's just put it on the slide there. You can see in your handout as well. And I think we've bolded some words here. Let me just read this again and just notice these repeated words and ideas. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I trust you can see it's pretty easy, these repeated words, patience, steadfastness, endurance, waiting. And it turns out that it's not only clear that that's the point of this text that's before us, but if you were to go back and read through the whole book of James, it's actually the thing he said right at the beginning as well. Let me put these words up for you. You may recall from James chapter one, he says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing.'" And he goes on to say, "'The rich will fade away,' just like in chapter 5, "'the rich will fade away, but blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial.'" For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So the point you see is that this is not just some kind of random extra thing that James is saying at the end of his letter. This has actually been really central to the whole point, the idea of us being steadfast and having patient endurance. So the idea, I think, of our text is very clear. That doesn't make the practice of it any easier, we need to dig a little deeper, I think, this morning, if we're going to be faithful to this text, than just being told to be patient. It's kind of like the meme you've probably seen, never in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's like that too. In the midst of trials and difficulties, to, when some, for, to just say be patient isn't enough. And I think James is telling us more than that as well. We need to understand how it works. And I think... To understand what it means to have patient endurance, it's, it's sometimes helpful to think of the opposite first. And I think James highlights a couple of things of the opposite of patient endurance. The first one there that he highlights is grumbling and complaining against one another. Let me just read the passage again. It's, it's short. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord His hand. And then verse nine, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience. Did, did you notice that verse nine, when you're reading it, it seems like it comes out of nowhere, like it's a total change of topic or change of theme, but it's not because he's continuing the same argument. He's saying the same thing about being patient. So what is the relationship between grumbling and complaining and being patient? Well, I think one very and easy, easy and natural thing for us to do when we're in difficult trials is to turn that pain against others. Certainly the ones that are causing us pain, but others as well. So you have a bad day at work, you come home, you're grouchy with your husband or wife or children. You feel shame at school, students, something happens that causes you shame. The easiest thing to do is to come home and then shame and cause pain to others. Maybe your younger siblings, especially. Someone speaks ill of you or me at work and or again, takes the credit you deserve for an idea or whatever it is. And the easy thing to do is to start an alternative campaign of maligning that person, taking from them, complaining openly or more subtly. In the church, maybe someone hurts you, hurts your feelings. You feel slighted or disappoints you. This can become the topic of a heartfelt talk with several other people in the church that are re- that's really just grumbling and complaining. And James doesn't hold back in warning us, you see, about in when we're in trials, the danger of grumbling and complaining against each other, this totally natural habit that we all have. He says at the end of verse 9, Don't do this so that you won't be judged for the judge is already at the door. Where in the world did James get that idea? Well, he gets it straight from Jesus himself where most of James' teachings are coming from in this book from the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Let me put it before us. Do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, grumble and complain against them, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your eye, your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. And then if you still have any energy left after that, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. These words... They're not meant to shame us, friends. This is not meant to manipulate us or paint a picture that God is some big meanie or something. These words and James' words back in verse nine, they're an invitation to wisdom, to recognizing that the habit of judging other people, of complaining and grumbling against each other is natural as that is to us. That habit will mess you up. And it will not bring life and health and good relationships with others or with God. Quite the opposite, we will reap what we sow. Instead, Jesus' golden rule here applies again, treat others as we'd wanna be treated with patience and grace. So in the midst of our trials, James first tells us the opposite of patient endurance is grumbling and complaining. But there's another one that James doesn't say explicitly, but I think it's implied and it's kind of the next step after grumbling and complaining, and it's something that the Bible talks a lot about, and that is to take our own vengeance in the midst of suffering. Again, James doesn't explicitly say this. Let me just throw a few texts real quickly in front of you. Leviticus 19:18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Proverbs 20, verse 22, Do not say, I will repay evil. Instead, wait for the Lord, be patient, and he will deliver you. And Paul says the same thing in Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, not grumbling and complaining. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you and I suffer hardship, especially at the hands of other people, but any kind, it's so easy to think justice and payback and vengeance at work or school or with a roommate or in marriage. Maybe it's subtle, maybe it's overt, but everything in us wants us to pay back. But that's the opposite, you see, of the patient endurance that God is calling us to. Not only is getting people back the opposite of love, it also, you see, transforms us in the wrong way. As we do, so we become. So when we exercise patient endurance, we grow in love. And when we instead pursue our own vengeance or grumbling and complaining, that actually makes us less than fully human and less than alive. So those are some opposites. But let's turn and say, so how do we find, what does James say, how do we find the strength to actually endure patiently in the midst of trials? Because that's the big question that still remains. How do we do this? Well, I think James gives us two really clear ways to resource patient endurance in our lives in the midst of trials. The first is this, to consider exemplars. I know it's not a word you probably use very much, but here's there's a bonus on the sermon. You get a new, new dictionary word for you. An exemplar is a person who serves as an example of some virtue or character trait, whether it's endurance or honesty or love or courage. I'm reading a bunch of Greek myths right now and uh, just thinking about how all the heroes serve as exemplars for the, the hearers. We need exemplars in our lives. In fact, whether you realize it or not, why you do what you do is largely influenced by exemplars. Um, maybe your parents, maybe others that cast a vision by their very embodied life on a way of being that then influenced you. The Bible is full of exemplars as well. They're constantly used to motivate us. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul says. Hebrews 11, you remember that? The hall of faith, it's all about exemplars or examples of virtue and faith. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate example or exemplar. Read 1 Peter, for example, where Jesus' own life and suffering becomes the model for us. Well, James does the exact same thing here. Did you see it in our text? He gives us three different exemplars. The first one is farmers, He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. This is such a great example of patience because if you think about a farmer, even with all of our technology of farming now, but in the ancient world or today, a farmer can do the work of planning and planting and some weeding and fertilizing, certainly, But at the end of the day, it's pretty weird to think about the most important and central thing about farming is completely out of control of the farmer. Completely out of control to actually make a seed grow. That's the one thing a farmer cannot do. Instead, a farmer must wait patiently, entrusting himself and his livelihood, his very life, on God who in his own time works to cause life and growth such a great example. James goes on. He gives another example, God's prophets. Verse 10, he says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider these blessed or happy, really, who remain steadfast. I always say being a prophet, especially in the Old Testament and John the Baptist in the New Testament as well, is the worst job you can have. It sounds like it's really exciting. It's horrible. Basically, the the pattern of prophets is they get beat up and ridiculed and often killed. That's the role of a prophet. It's not some great glorious thing usually. And I think James is thinking of people we should think of too, like Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who was called by God to speak a very unpopular message about God's judgment. So he was put in stocks and in chains thrown down into a pit and cave, left to die. James is probably thinking of Daniel, who we remember from the lion's den. That sounds really cool as a kid's story, right? With the little pop-out lions or whatever you you might have. But think about that, thrown into a den of lions. That is not a positive thing, right? And his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown into a fiery furnace. Hebrews, again, mentions many prophets who were sawn in two, who were stoned to death, who were beaten, who were imprisoned, who were starved. And James reminds us that those people, paradoxically, often find the greatest joy and peace in life precisely because everything else is stripped away and they have to wait patiently on God to be their life. And then James gives one final ramped up ultimate example, and that is Job. James assumes we know the story of Job, but let's make sure we recall it. And it'd be great to preach a whole bunch of sermons just on Job, it'd be a good thing to do. But if you remember the story of Job from the Old Testament, he was a righteous man whom Satan accused before God as not really loving God, except for all the things he had because he was very wealthy and very successful. And so Satan took everything away from Job. His wealth, his physical health, he's covered with sores, his property, his children die, his marriage relationship turns sour, his friends turn against him, his honor, his place in society are completely removed. And yet, James reminds us, Job never cursed God He never gave up in believing in God. And indeed, he was blessed and restored. And I think part of what makes Job the ultimate example of patient endurance is that Job in the Bible is not this flat cardboard cutout kind of character. He actually wrestles. He has lots of negative emotions. He feels a lot of shame and pain. He cries out to God. He even has arguments with his friends. He laments and complains to God himself there's nothing wrong with that. That's what Job teaches us. But he patiently endures until he is restored. It's a perfect example for us. But James doesn't stop there because those exemplars, examples of patient endurance are helpful, but they're not ultimately enough to resource us. And so I said there were two positive things James says, how to resource patients. One is consider exemplars. The second, most importantly, is to remember the Lord. Let me read the text, verse eight again. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now that is a very short statement that is power-packed, super concentrated. The coming of the Lord is at hand is shorthand for the whole message that Jesus continually preached that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is coming upon the world through Jesus. The exact same language is used. And that may sound, this idea of the kingdom of God coming to earth may sound just like a nice abstract idea, but it's not. We are talking about the idea that through Jesus, God is going to recreate the entire world in beauty and justice and peace. It means that Jesus is returning as judge. It's not a negative term, except for those who are his enemies, but a positive one coming to set the world to justice, to right as the good and beautiful king, the perfect God-man who in his presence, you can feel nothing but love and awe and beauty and righteousness. The triune God is going to bring to earth The heavenly reality where God's name is honored, his will is done perfectly, love and justice flow like water and air over all the world. When we see God rightly, we see ourselves rightly, free from sin, free from stain and brokenness and disappointment and weakness. So many ways the Bible talks about this. One, one way that some, a modern band that you may have heard of Over the Rhine describes it, I love these words from their song, The Trumpet Child. They are thinking of this future time and they say, in this recreation of the world, the rich forget about their gold, the meek and mild are strangely bold. A lion lies beside a lamb and licks a murderer's outstretched hand. The trumpet child, this description of Jesus, will lift a glass, his bride now leaning in at last, his final aim to fill with joy the earth that man all but destroyed. This, friends, and this alone can resource patient endurance in the midst of your trials and suffering. Establishing our hearts based on this true vision of Jesus' return is our only hope. Because you see, absolutely essential to Christianity is this forward-looking hope to a time when God will redeem and restore all of creation and be present with us. Otherwise, honestly, Christianity and all it's telling us to do is stupid and foolish, to be humble, humble, to serve others, to give generously and sacrificially, to endure hardship patiently. If this world is all there is, although there might be some benefits of doing those things, the Apostle Paul reminds us, if the resurrection and the reality that it brings is not true, then we're to be the most pitied of all people. Because these ways of self-sacrifice really ultimately mean nothing if God is not going to restore the world to justice. But because of the coming kingdom of heaven, we can patiently endure knowing that all will be made right, racially, economically, in all kinds of suffering. So I just wanna drive this home with some application to patient endurance in, why don't you think of it in like three places in our lives. So that, that's what James is saying. I think it's pretty clear. But what does this really look like? And I wanna just give you three spaces or places of patience to resource by God's hope to apply this. So the first one is to be patient with each other. Patience with each other. I mentioned earlier that two very natural habits that we all have that are the opposite of what James is calling us to here are grumbling and complaining against each other and taking our own vengeance. I... I just want to push that a little bit farther into our lives, the opposite of these things. And I think the first step is to to recognize that pattern in in yourself and in myself, to be impatient with those who have disappointed you, to be impatient with those who have hurt you and maybe shamed you which of course, especially means those who are closest to us, not because those people are worse than others, just because there's a lot more opportunity for them to hurt us and disappoint us. And then from that place to consciously step towards breaking this habit of being impatient with each other and replace it with a, make it a place of patience. In fact, here's an image I want to put in your head. Imagine your relationship with someone else and think of someone that maybe you struggle to be patient with. Imagine your relationship with them is that you two are in like this clear box together, all right? And you have actually a lot of different boxes. You might have a box where you're relating to a whole group and an individual box, but just imagine one person with me and you're in a, this clear box with them that you interact with them. Now envision that is a space that can be filled with something. What do you want it to be filled with? What do you want it to taste and smell and feel like? Do you want it to be filled with the poisonous gases and cloudiness of bitterness and impatience and grumbling against each other? Or rather, can you imagine it being filled with that space of love and patience and kindness, gentleness, self-control? So like when you walk into Magic Kingdom and they're they're spraying the smell of baked chocolate chip cookies, right? Right when you walk in, this feeling, imagine filling this relationship with this person you're thinking of with these gifts of the spirit, which is what those are. Patience, kindness, gentleness. So imagine that person and by the spirit's power, beginning to transform that relationship from one of whatever it looks like now towards greater patience with them, whether it's your spouse or a sibling or roommate or whoever. Second place I want us to apply patience is patience with ourselves. It may sound a little weird to some of you, May sound wishy-washy, have patience with yourselves, especially maybe if you're in your 20s and you still think you're pretty good at being a Christian, just give it time, right? (laughs) But my point is that we are all on a journey. We're all on a sojourn, a long journey of growth and transformation into the image of Jesus in us. This is what salvation is as it's worked out. It's being retooled so that the image of God is restored in us by the power of the spirit. And you see, life is not static, but dynamic. We often, so often think in very black and white static categories, this or that. But the reality is that life is a long journey of changes. And you and I need to learn to play the long game with our soul's development. And that means we need to be patient. God knows us. He knows that we are but dust that is formed into a shape for a while that he breathes into and then grows and then deteriorates and returns to dust. That's what we are. And yet he loves us. He loves us. He sees the beginning and the end of our lives in an instant. And friends, he's not anxious about you. God plays the long game always. And he is restoring you and transforming you by this power. If you are following Christ, that is the Spirit's work in you. And he's patient with us. So I think we need to be patient as well. We need to be patient because enduring is hard. And of course, we're going to screw up. Of course, you and I are going to fail. Of course, we are going to do things well for a little while and then not be able to sustain that. Can I get a witness, right? Of course we're not going to have of course we're going to have seasons of fruitfulness and then other seasons of barrenness and apathy. Of course our lives are going to be marked by this inconsistency. This is what it means to be broken, limited creature in a broken world. But God's not anxious. So settle in and have patience with the long game of transformation that God is doing in us. And finally, the third place of patience is to have patience with God. I mentioned earlier that the only lasting way to resource patient endurance in our lives is by remembering the Lord, what he's doing in the world and will do. And today I'm inviting you to a place with patience with God in the midst of your pain and suffering and trials. And you see friends, the reason it is so difficult emotionally and psychologically to stay and find patience when we suffer is because we are not made for that. The reason it's so hard is because we are made to not be in brokenness and to have to wait in the midst of brokenness. We are designed for life in its fullness. We're like a person in a straitjacket or better, like a caterpillar in a cocoon. We feel the constraints and the stiffness and the unnaturalness of being in this tightened, pressed upon world that is not right and that we're not made for in its current form. So be patient. God is doing a thousand good things at once. He is patient. He's slow to anger with you and me, and he will return ultimately, but also he will return in our lives like he did with Job and bring freedom. I think we can never fail to, to stand in awe of the way Paul says the same thing James is saying here. And I just want to put this text before us from Romans eight in light of this idea. Let me read these verses for you. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us from the cocoon to the butterfly. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Do you you see that language? There is this bondage that we feel. That's why waiting patiently is so hard because it's bondage. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, for the redemption of our very bodies. For in this hope we were saved and now hope that is seen is not hope. We don't see this yet. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. How? With patience. So as we conclude today, friends, I I just wanna invite you into the wisdom and life that God is offering us by learning to patiently endure whatever situation you find yourself in. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. And you see, whenever God commends us to do something like he is here, to be patient, to establish our hearts,
1: we need to understand,
0: excuse me, he's doing this for our good. Every exhortation is an invitation that learned over time will bless us and transform us and give us the life that we are made for and long for. And as we move to the Lord's table today, I'm really struck by this idea about patience with this because you know, it's amazing to think that Jesus, one man, and his 12 disciples had a meal, Jesus' last meal, in which he broke bread saying, this is my body, in which he served wine to his friends saying, this is my blood. And from that one meal, thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, we're still now celebrating and remembering that. And it's remarkable to think about how did this break off of Judaism 2,000 years ago, far away, come all the way to Louisville, Kentucky today? Well, there's there's a recent book by an historian named Alan Kreider who asked that question and said, how did Christianity within just a couple of few centuries, take over the entire Roman empire? And the answer, he argues very convincingly is, it's because the church always exercised the virtue of patience. That in the midst of suffering and trial, they didn't retaliate, they exercised patience, waiting for the Lord's return. And so this morning, as you come forward, if you're a believer, if you're following Christ, we welcome you to this table. If you're not a believer, you're just here visiting or trying to figure things out, awesome. We are glad you're here. May God speak to you today. This is not a magical thing that's gonna do something for you. This is for people who are already believing can come forward. And as you do, if you're a believer this morning, and come forward and partake of this. Make your prayer, God, deepen in me your patience as I wait. The Lord's coming. Let's pray together.